Boozed and Confused is a comedy and weird topic podcast. Adult language may be used probably by me. While our episode topics may be educational in nature, we are not responsible if your children start dropping the F-bomb to their kindergarten class. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome us back. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> it's you. been a couple of weeks. Welcome back. Not on purpose. We've just had illnesses and crazy executive producers and uh, time went by so fast. Yeah. I want to say she said something like, no, we're going to go away for a while. <laughs> so we're back. We missed you. And I'm sure you did not miss us, but uh, I'm Carol Ann. Yeah, this is Matt. Uh, welcome to another shit uh, episode of the shit pod, Boozed and Confused. Don't know why you keep coming back. It's like filmed, a bad relationship. Filmed in front of a, a live studio audience. <laughs> of our it's cats. also empty. <laughs> Couldn't give away free tickets. Um, yeah, we tried Groupon. We tried <laughs> sticking them to the bottom of like like milk cartons. Yep. Yeah, nothing. Nothing worked. Not even our own parents showed up. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, all right. Well, I'm doing something new today. I am not going to do like the full housekeeping list. I'll what? save it for the end. I know. Um, but yeah, the only thing I'll say is if you like the shit pod and you want to support us, uh, you know, show some love. Uh, review follow subscribe whatever the hell you do on whatever platform you listen on uh and that's great and we will appreciate it and if you let us know we'll send you some stickers in the mail that's all yeah shout out to whoever keeps linking us on like was that like a truth social (laughs) stop plus one plus one truth (laughs) nobody links us on truth social unless they're roasting us for being libtards so, and that would be fine. I would, I would take that. Matt drinks Bud Light. <laughs> oh, that's the greatest marketing campaign of all time. Um, so I think we're just going to get into it. Um, that's, yeah, we're just going to get right into it. So, uh, this weekend was the unfortunate anniversary of the Hillsborough disaster. And, uh, for anyone who's not a soccer fan and unfamiliar, um, this was a fatal human crush during a soccer match at Hillsborough Stadium in Sheffield, England on April 15th, 1989. Uh, it's regarded as, I think, the largest loss of life in like an English sporting event. If you don't count being a Tottenham supporter. Oh, my God. Matt. Uh, right away. Right away. All right. Um, God. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's more of like loss of spirit. Yeah. Spirit yeah. is broken. Just, uh, yeah. Any, any will to, to go on. Um, so this episode, like the, the Hillsborough disaster, the human crush, um, situation is really troubling and gruesome and, and horrifying. So we're not going to go into a lot of the grisly details today. We're going to talk a lot more about the cover up that happened and all the, the, uh, things that happened after the fact, but 
Uh, this is like extensively covered. You could literally just Google like Hillsborough disaster and find whatever it is that you're looking for. Uh, Wikipedia also has like a really well documented page on Hillsborough disaster. So um, you don't have at it. This is kind of just a, a high level bird's eye view of, of what happened, but mainly focusing on the part after because uh, the tragedy itself is just horrific. Yeah, it it's one of those things that's always mentioned every year you know, every season um even like liverpool themselves like always on on their jerseys they yeah. have a 96 yeah uh, in reference to all the loss of life from the events yeah um, but seeing it happened i mean i was born a couple of months after this happened yeah so what are what are your memories of it aside from probably absolutely nothing it's just darkness yeah it's just, just darkness just darkness um, so the, uh, the, the crush event of the Hillsborough disaster happened at an FA cup semifinal between Liverpool and Nottingham forest. Uh, it was for anyone who's like unfamiliar with, um, how soccer stadiums are set up, uh, typically, uh, you're set up where like your fans of opposing teams are on complete opposite ends of the stadium from one another because for good reason. Yeah. We can't get along. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the crush itself happened in like two standing only pens in the Leppings lane, uh, stand allocated to Liverpool supporters. And one of the criticisms has been for a very long time that there were just simply not enough controls in place and way too many people, uh, too many fans for what was such a small area. Um, so right before kickoff, what happened is there's a bunch of overcrowding outside the entrance tur- turnstiles that starts happening. And there's actually a, like an original crush that starts happening outside. Um, so the police match commander, whose name is David Duckenfield, um, orders exit gate C to be opened in order to alleviate all of the pressure that's happening outside. So all these people start to flow into the pens. Um, there's a, you could search like a, a map of what the stadium looks like to get a better understanding. Um, but that exit gate being opened is what directly caused this overcrowding in the pens and, and the subsequent crush that, that happened with it. Um, so there were 97 deaths, 766 injuries. So yeah, it was the highest death toll in British sporting history. Um, 94 people actually died on the day. Another person died in the hospital days later. One victim died in 1993. And then the most recent victim to have passed away was in July 2021. So uh, this was a a man named Andrew Devine. um, Died 32 years after suffering severe and irreversible brain damage on the day. And he's considered the 97th victim. So this match was abandoned. They like restaged it at Old Trafford, uh, what, like a month later? Um, And then Liverpool went on to win the the FA Cup. So I don't know if that's like some sort of anything. I don't know how Liverpool fans actually feel about that. It's a good question. It's a really good question. So you won't find this at um, stadiums anymore, but when you look at maps and pictures of uh, the stadium where this happened, um, you would see these like high steel fences that kind of surrounded uh, certain like supporter areas of the, the pitch. And 
the reason why they did this is because hooliganism um, was something that at the time was quote unquote rampant in English football. And it's like really debated about how rampant it actually was and how much was like media hype around it. Um, So they put these security standards in place of these like really high steel fences uh, in 1974. And what's wild to me is like there were crushes occurring in various English stadiums from these steel fences being you know erected if you will yeah you don't really see those anymore in the it's the mainstays those those big english clubs you don't see that you just see lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of security guards basically forming a human fence yeah around the sections that get near each other and somehow they're always like streakers that somehow manage to find their way onto a pitch Every every few games here and there, some some brave boys. But um, so there was a report for a safety certificate for the stadium in 1978 that concluded it failed to meet the recommendations of a guide to safety at a sports ground. But the consequences were minor. Like that that's like the biggest fucking first red flag. That's from 1978. Um, Sheffield Wednesday were later criticized for neglecting safety in the stadium, especially because there was an incident at the semifinal of the 1981 FA Cup. So there's like a lot of little like breadcrumbs that lead up to this Hillsborough disaster. Mm-hmm. So the Leppings Lane end of the ground did not hold a valid safety certificate at the time of the disaster, and it had not been updated since 1979. So this is going on 10 years of... being under code yeah probably becoming more under code as every season passed yeah and like that's that's what's fucking wild to me like you would imagine i mean i i i'm not really familiar with uh the ins and outs of business and football across the pond but you would imagine that like supporters are the ones who make your fucking club so like their safety should be number one priority um But the risks associated with confining fans and pens were highlighted by uh, a committee of inquiry into crowd safety at sports grounds, um, which is called the Popplewell uh, Inquiry for anyone who wants to go look it up. Uh, And this happened after the Bradford City Stadium fire in May of 1985. So they made recommendations on the safety of crowds of pens, uh, safety of crowds penned within fences, saying that all exit gates need to be manned at all times. And like you need to be able to open them immediately from the inside for anyone like in an emergency like this. So like, again, obviously a lot of small things leading up to what could have been prevented we've mentioned a couple times there's like little breadcrumbs that that should have been like red flags leading up to this so uh we'll talk a little bit about previous incidents before and then we'll then we'll get into it so uh in the 1980s hillsborough hosted five fa cup semifinals. um in 1981 that was the first one we mentioned a crush happened at the leppings lane end of the ground during the semifinal between tottenham and uh the wolves wolverhampton it's very strange to me to like read the full name but the <laughs> wolverhampton wanderers um and in that situation there were hundreds more uh, spectators or attendees permitted to enter that terrace than could actually be accommodated uh, but in that case only 38 people were injured and there were like broken 
bones, you know, so like arms, legs, ribs. Um, but police believed that, you know, from from that, had they not taken swift action, uh, there was a real chance that that fatalities could have happened. Um, and at that point, they recommended the club reduce its capacity. Um, in in this situation. There's a chairman at the time named Burt McGee for Sheffield Wednesday remarked, bollocks, no one would have been killed. No one. Oh, glad you're a fucking psychic, Burt. Um, it's, yeah, like also with these sections, like it should be said, like these aren't seats as yes. as you would go to like a, a football game like yeah. where it's seated. This is all like standing room. Yeah. Rows and rows and rows of standing room, maybe yeah. a bench, but standing room. Yeah. That's actually a really good point because unless you've been to a stadium specifically where the seats are removed, uh, you may have a hard time envisioning like how this could happen so easily and quickly. Uh, but yeah, those are all like literally just benches. If that, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if they even had benches to be honest in that yeah a lot of them just had kind of like concrete yeah it's just yeah pyramid of concrete yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that that would make sense so that 1981 incident prompted sheffield wednesday to alter the layout at leppings lane end which divided the terrace into three separate pens to restrict sideways movement um and those changes that they made invalidated the stadium safety certificate. And so the certificate was never renewed and the capacity of the stadium was never actually changed despite the police recommendation. So the terrace is divided into five pens when the club was promoted to the first division in 1984 and a crush barrier near the access tunnel was removed in 1986 to improve the flow of fans entering and exiting the central enclosure. Um, And with that happening, Hillsborough wasn't chosen to host an FA Cup semifinal for like six years until 1987. Great fucking track record, assholes. So in 1987, um, there was serious overcrowding observed at the 1987 quarterfinal between Sheffield Wednesday and Coventry City. And again, during the semifinal between Coventry City and Leeds United at Hillsborough. And then 1988, um, Liverpool and Nottingham Forest met in the semifinal at Hillsborough in 1988. Uh, and fans reported crushing at the Leppings Lane end. So, again, like nothing to the degree of which the Hillsborough disaster was, but still issues. Consistent issues with over over manning these, these areas of fans. Yeah. So now we're going to get into the crush bit. Um, if you'd maybe rather not hear this part, you could just fast forward a few a few minutes and I'm sure you'll you'll catch up. I don't think we have too much that really talks about this. But um, yeah, not going to go into explicit detail. It's it's really fucking horrific. And if you really want, uh, you could go look up the the gruesome details yourself. So so this game was set to kick off at 3 p.m. So between 2.30 and 2.40, there's this buildup of supporters outside the turnstiles um, facing Leppings Lane. So that where, where it happened. Um, and like I mentioned before, they were really eager to enter the stadium. Um, but a bottleneck starts uh, with the fans arriving. And so they couldn't be safely filtered through the turnstiles before 3 p.m. And so police radioed requesting that the kickoff be delayed by 20 minutes to ensure safety, uh, you know, so that like people wouldn't fucking force their yeah, ways yeah, through. Push your way in. Especially thinking about like 
being outside, you know, trying to get in. And then if you hear the match starting or something, it's I can imagine it worse. would make yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that request to delay kickoff by 20 minutes was denied. This is maybe the only right thing that police tried to do this day uh, was asking for kickoff to be delayed. So because that request was denied um, and, you know, trying to do the right thing for safety for those that were outside of the stadium, uh, police opened up the that exit gate that we had mentioned at the beginning that permitted the free flow of supporters, uh, you know, into the stadium. And then they opened up two additional gates to relieve pressure. So these open gates allowed thousands of fans to enter into those two overcrowded central pen areas, uh, which created a lot of pressure up front. And it just went completely fucking unnoticed. Like, I don't, I would hope nobody that listens to this has ever been in a situation where you are at the beginning of like a human crush. Maybe if you think about like being in a front row at a concert, uh, if a lot of people are trying to pack into general admission and you're pushed up against the wall, um, you like you, it's, it's hard to move. You like can't really expand your stomach and take deep breaths or try to like call out for help much or anything, you know? Um, and it's a, it's a slow, crush and so a lot of people who are at the very front that are starting to get crushed like can't say much they can't do much yeah and and this this term crush is like quite literally like being sardined yes up against like this this like fencing that they had yeah yeah it's i mean i if once you look at the photos you will never be able to unsee it because I think every photo that you look at, um, you were quite literally looking at people who died or may have already been dead at the time of that photo. It's super fucking disturbing to think about. So the game kicks off as planned at 3 p.m. Uh, once the crush is realized, it's disputed of if it was 3.05 or 3.15 um, Wikipedia told me 3.05, so I'm going to go with that. Um, but the match is stopped at that point. And the crowd that can actually move starts spilling onto the pitch itself. Uh, a lot of people who are uninjured are trying to help those that are injured. Um, but emergency services are just completely overwhelmed, uh, as you could probably imagine. And I'm sure it was a very confusing situation for those who were a little bit removed. So we're going to focus on like, I don't know, the, the fuck up or the cover up, the, the fucking cover up. I don't, I don't know. It all kind of bleeds together. So there's a lot of confusion about who's calling the shots during this, if, if you could imagine. So the, the TLDR is that there needed to be a formal declaration made to get injured folks from point A to, um, you know, the casualty reception point, which they refer to as the CRP. And that declaration was just never made. Uh, so ambulance drivers like weren't sure if injured people were being brought to them or if they were supposed to go get the injured. Um, and they weren't even initially briefed on what was happening inside the stadium. That's the part that is like fucking shocking to me. I would have to imagine, like, I, I would just love to know what the call was and like what dispatch told them. Yeah. I got a small incident. Right. Over at Hillsborough. A small incident that requires like 42 fucking ambulances. So so 42 ambulances arrived. 
only three managed to get onto the pitch, two of which like did it on, on their own accord um, and not asking permission or like waiting for anybody. Um, and the other 39 transported like 149 people to different hospitals for treatment. Um, what's crazy to me, and this is where it starts to get a little fucky with uh, the, the cover up and the police. So Chief Superintendent John Nesbitt of South Yorkshire Police briefed Michael Sharesby, MP, that leaving the rescue to fans was a deliberate strategy and is quoted as saying, quote, we let the fans help so they would not take out their frustration on the police, end quote, at a police federation conference. We wanted them to feel like they were doing a good thing. If that statement alone is not enough to show what fucking trashed the police were, uh, in the, the days and weeks that followed, South Yorkshire, 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 uh, police fed the press just fake stories like like trying to change the narrative, if you will. Uh, so the first thing was like they suggested that football hooliganism and drunkenness by Liverpool supporters caused the disaster. Uh, the second was that they blamed Liverpool fans um, even after a Taylor report or the Taylor report of 1990, which found that the main cause of failure was crowd control by the police themselves. No, it was it was the fans. It was yeah. The fans. Yeah. I mean, I just like they thought it would really bring them together. If, yeah, yeah, if, yeah. If the injured, Uniting. if the less injured could help the more injured. Oh, God. Um, so if anyone, uh, is familiar with tabloids, I guess I would call it across the This is the like pond. the king of the tabloids. Yeah. The so the sun, a lot of, uh, because of this, a lot of people in Liverpool, if, if you see them online, like if they're posting in like the Liverpool, uh, soccer subreddit, they won't even spell out the sun. They'll censor it. Um, because because fuck the sun. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. But the sun on April 19th, four days after the disaster happened, uh, the editor of the sun, Calvin McKenzie, ordered uh, a story called The Truth uh, as the front page headline. And then there were three sub headlines that followed it. Uh, some fans pick uh, pockets of victims. Some fans urinated on the brave cops. And... Some fans beat up PC giving kiss of life, which just to further kind of put the fire on, on, on the fans yeah. who were already like decimated. Yeah. And that's not to say that the sun was the only, um, I guess like tabloid or quote unquote news, if you want to call it that, that, that ran a story like this. There's a lot of scrutiny for the media around this time. We're just noting the sun because this is the most prominent one. Uh, and they still suffer for it to this day, which is great because fuck the sun. The British never forget. Yeah. No, absolutely not. So uh, Mackenzie spent like apparently two hours deciding on what fucking headline to run. His uh, original instinct was for you scum, uh, but eventually landed on the truth. So great. Nice job, asshole. Um, so the sun cited claims by police inspector Gordon Sykes that Liverpool fans had like pickpocketed the dead and like other claims by quote unquote unnamed police officers and local conservative MP Irvine Patnick. 
It's the conservatives. Yeah. It's just so fucking shitty. Um, so the story that accompanied those headlines claimed drunken Liverpool fans viciously attacked rescue workers as they tried to like revive victims and that police officers and firemen and ambulance crew were punched and kicked and urinated on. Um, and again, another quote attributed to an unnamed policeman claimed a partially unclothed dead girl had been verbally abused and that Liverpool fans were, quote, openly urinating on us and the bodies of the dead, end quote. So what's cool about that it's just is like everyone's peeing on everyone. Right. Yeah. Like this wasn't that's, that's what we do in an emergency. Yeah. Yeah. So like obviously fucking absurd and that would probably be the last thing to happen. But I think they just wanted to dehumanize these fans that were affected so much that they just made up the most absurd shit. So The Guardian later wrote, uh, quote, the claim that supporters higher up the Leppings Lane Terrace had urinated on police bodies uh, or sorry, on police pulling bodies out of the crush appeared to have roots in the fact that those who were dying or sustaining serious injuries suffered compression asphyxia and many involuntarily urinated, vomited and emptied their bowels as they were crushed. So these people are fucking dying. And that's why they're having these like involuntary like movements. But yeah, let's like let's highlight yeah. the fact that it's yeah, it's and, and an spin an it active, into something an that's not process of peeing on, on on people. God, you know, truly like fuck these people. I I've known about the Hillsborough disaster for years just by proxy, I think, of being a soccer fan, thanks to you. Um reading all of the details of everything like the when I say the Wikipedia page is stacked I mean like it was like 60 fucking something pages long it was crazy um there's just so much that's been going into it and this happened in 89 and like it's still very relevant today yeah I actually I I was telling you after we paused in recording that um, I've I've never really really looked too much into this, and just hearing about it, I assume that like a terrace had fall- that that some of the stands had fallen, and mm-hmm. people no, um, much, uh, much worse, worse, much worse, yeah, worse. Um, so we're gonna start talking a little bit about the cover up and like after the fact. So this is going all the way to 1991. So in 1991. The first coroner's inquests into the disaster concluded with verdicts of, quote, accidental death for all of the deceased. And people, rightly so, were fucking pissed about this. And they wanted the case reopened because this isn't accidental death. It's just pure fucking negligence negligence. uh, on the, uh, you know, police front. So in 1997, um, you know, there was like no justification for a new inquiry or, you know, some kind of conclusion along those lines. Um, jumping a little bit ahead to 2009, there's this independent panel that's formed to review the evidence. And this panel is called the Hillsborough Independent Panel. Um, so the, the very TLDR is that they reported in 2012 of uh, like criticisms from 1990. They revealed a lot of fucking details on how much police tried to shift the blame onto attendees, the role of other emergency services, and the error rate of the first coroner's inquest. So this report led to the creation of new coroner's inquests, um, and it produced like 
you know, two criminal investigations, one to look into the cause of the disaster, one to examine actions by police afterwards. So in that 2012 uh, report that it published, there were 450,000 pages of material collected from 85 organizations and individuals over two years. Like, holy shit. That's a lot of fucking material. That's a lot of paperwork. Holy shit. So from that report, they concluded no Liverpool fans were responsible in any way for the disaster. And they said the main cause was a lack of police control. Uh, They also concluded that like crowd safety was compromised at every level. Overcrowding issues had been recorded two years earlier. So going back to like the similar incidents. Um, And the panel concluded that up to 41 of the 96 who died up to that date might have survived had the emergency services reactions and the coordination been better. I think that's the part that that struck me the most. I don't remember if I kept this part in here. Um, but, you know, the the first, um, I guess, like, coroner maybe that, that uh, published something said, like, oh, everyone who died was already dead by 3.15, and, like, that was just not fucking That's true. Not, no it way. wasn't even close to being true because people, there were cases of people uh, having eyewitness accounts saying, like, so-and-so was still alive at 4 p.m. after we had taken them out and put them on the field. And, you know, they still had a pulse. They were still breathing. We're, and, but and, No, they were, they were dead yeah. before. Yeah. Fucking disgusting. This whole thing is disgusting. I mean, apart from the the huge cover-up that we're talking about, I think one of the biggest alarming things is that for years before this game, there were, like, you know, below safety standards. Yeah. You know, you see that nowadays. You, you'd think you'd hope that that would be shut down immediately, yeah. regardless of the inconveniences of a, an event. I mean, I I just think about, like, the fucking infrastructure here in the United States where everything is just oh, a everything. And when, like, we're sitting in our supporter section at Soldier Field and you get enough people bouncing, I'm like, oh, God, when was the last time this was fucking updated or looked at or inspected? You know? Well, the spaceship part seems seems neat and new. Yeah, great. Love that we spent so much money on that. Um, so the, the actual report that they published was 395 pages, so a little condensed from the 450,000 that they collected. They delivered 153 key findings. Their findings also concluded that 164 witness statements were altered by the police. So 116 of them were amended to remove or change negative comments about the fucking police. We investigated ourselves and we found we did nothing wrong. Um, This part is maybe some of the most sickening shit from what happened. The South Yorkshire police performed blood alcohol tests on the victim, some of them fucking children, and ran computer checks on the National Police Database in an attempt to just, like, help their reputation. Literally looking for anything that would be like, yep, this person was too drunk, or there were these drunk kids, and they were, they were you know, part of the problem. Like, what the fuck? And then the report concluded that the, sen- the then conservative MP for Sheffield Hallam uh, Irvine Patnick again uh, passed inaccurate and untrue information from the police to the press. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy, and fuck this whole police department. So, 
the evidence that they published online included all the altered police reports. Like you can you you can read this. I think I've linked it in the show notes if you really want. Um, so after they they published all this, they said you guys got to do something else for these fucking victims. They also called for prosecutions for unlawful killing, corporate manslaughter, and perversion of the course of justice in respect for the actions of the police, both in causing the disaster itself and the cover-up that followed. Again, jumping to a little bit more recently, 2014 to 2016, uh, those second coroner's inquests were held. So they ruled that the supporters were unlawfully killed owing to grossly negligent failures by police and the ambulance services. Um, Also found that the design of the stadium contributed to the crash and supporters weren't to blame for the dangerous condition. So kind of just reiterating what that panel found. Um, And after this verdict happened, that chief constable David Crompton was uh, suspended following this verdict. So in 2016, in in that uh, verdict that happened, There were 14 questions answered by the jury in that verdict statement. So we're going to go through those. And if you get tired of it, you could just fast forward probably like a minute or two. (laughs) Um, So the first one, do you agree with the following statement? On April 15th, 1989, 96 people died in the disaster as a result of crushing in the central pens of the Lippings Lane Terrace following the admission of a large number of supporters to the stadium through the exit gates. Verdict, yes. Number two was, was there any error or omission in police planning and preparation for the semifinal on April 15, 1989, which caused or contributed to the dangerous situation that developed on the day of the match? The verdict was yes. Third one was, uh, was there any error or omission in policing on the day of the match which caused or contributed to a dangerous situation developing at the Leppings Lane Turnstiles verdict? Uh, Yes. Number four, was there any error or omission by commanding officers which caused or contributed to the crush on the terrace? The verdict was yes. Five, when the order was given to open the gates at the Leppings Lane end of the stadium, was there any error or omission by the commanding officers in the control box which caused or contributed to the crush on the terrace? Verdict, yes. Six, are you satisfied so that you are sure that those who died in the disaster were unlawfully killed? Verdict, yes. Seven, was there any behavior on the part of the football supporters which caused or contributed to the dangerous situation at the Leppings Lane turnstiles? Uh, Verdict, no. Eight, were there any features of the design, construction, and layout of the stadium which you consider were dangerous or defective and which caused or contributed to the disaster? Verdict, yes. Was there any error or omission in the safety certification and oversight of Hillsborough Stadium that caused or contributed to the disaster? Verdict, yes. 10. Was there any error or omission by Sheffield Wednesday and its staff in the management of the stadium and or preparation for the semifinal match on April 15, 1989, which caused or contributed to the dangerous situation that developed on the day of the match? Verdict, yes. 11A, was there any error or omission by Sheffield Wednesday and its staff on April 15, 1989, which caused or contributed to the dangerous situation that developed at the Leppings Lane Turnstiles and in the West Terrace? Verdict, no. 
11B, was there any error or omission by Sheffield Wednesday FC and its staff on April 15, 1989, which may have caused or contributed to the dangerous situation that developed at the Leppings Lane Turnstiles and in the West Terrace ver- verdict? Yes. Number 12, should Eastwood and partners, the structural engineers, have done more to detect and advise on any unsafe or unsatisfactory features of Hillsborough Stadium, which caused or contributed to the disaster? Verdict, yes. Number 13, after the crash in the West Terrace had begun to develop, was there any error or omission by the police which caused or contributed to the loss of lives in the disaster? Verdict, yes. And 14, After the crush in the West Terrace had begun to develop, was there any error or omission by the ambulance service which caused or contributed to the loss of lives in the disaster? The verdict was yes. Yeah, so pretty much just like fucking resounding yeses for all of these where it's applicable, aside from the ones where fans are asked if they're at fault. Um but in 2017 as well, uh, so the, the Crown Prosecution Service announced that David Duckenfield is to be charged with manslaughter by gross negligence of 95 people. Because remember, two. At the time. Yeah. At the time, yeah. So five other men um, also faced charges. Actually, I'm going to back up. The 96th, I think, could not be considered as part of this, but had passed away at this point. And then the 97th had not passed away at this point. Um, So five other men also faced charges. Uh, Former Sheffield Wednesday Club Secretary Graham Mackerel charged with safety offenses. Uh, Former South Yorkshire Police Chief Inspector Sir Norman Bettison is charged with four counts of misconduct in police office. Uh, Former SYP solicitor Peter Metcalf and former SYP officers Donald Denton and Alan Foster are charged with perverting the course of justice. So uh, in 2017, the first Hillsborough, uh, 2017, 2019, Mm -hmm. 2019, January 2019, uh, the first Hillsborough trial uh, begins at Preston Crown Court. So the Hillsborough match commander, David Duckenfield, uh, denies the gross negligence manslaughter of 95 Liverpool fans. And Graham Mackerel denies two health and safety offenses, one of which is later dropped due to lack of evidence. Um, Then in April of 2019, the jury fails to return a verdict on the manslaughter charge against Duckenfield. And prosecutors say that they will seek a retrial. And they did find Mackerel guilty by majority on a health and safety charge relating to uh, the adequate provision of turnstiles on that day. And then last piece for 2019, uh, there's a six-week trial at Preston Crown Court, and David Duckenfield is found not guilty of the gross negligence manslaughter of 95 Liverpool fans. Not guilty. Yeah, I um, wish that I was maybe more in tune with this at the time that it was happening. 2019 was so fucking recent, but I have no recollection of this trial happening, and I can imagine that... um, People in Liverpool were not happy with uh, the not guilty verdict. Yeah, I definitely recall the the rumblings around the pundits. You know, yeah. hearing hearing about this kind of in passing on like like on the American side yeah. of the commentary, which you you get some of the English in there, but you know the the American fan base is kind of sheltered from a lot of this this stuff. We just kind of get 
whatever's passed along. I yeah, guess. whatever's yeah. watered down pretty much for us. So the most recent updates all come from 2021. So April of, oh, I was going to say last year. This is two. It's 2023. Um, yeah, two years ago. So April of 2021, uh, a trial of retired uh, Superintendent Donald Denton, retired detective inspector. There's a bunch of fucking shortened <laughs> versions of this shit. And I don't know their fucking job title. So uh, these assholes, Alan Foster and then solicitor Peter Metcalf from the uh, SYP uh, were accused of altering police statements after the disaster uh, opens at the Nightingale Court at the Lowry Theater in Salford. Uh, Denton, Foster, and Metcalf are acquitted of perverting the course of justice in May of 2021, so April to May, kind of kind of a short time frame. Um, and then the justice, uh, Mr. Justice? Mr. Justice William what the Davis. What fuck are any of these names? These are... These are titles. These are titles. He ruled that they had no case to answer. Yeah. I mean, fuck, fuck these titles. Uh, and also, fuck all these people. Um, <laughs> and then the last update, like, the, the more I just go through this, the angrier I just get. Because, obviously, if you've listened to this shit pod long enough, there's nothing that pisses me off more than uh, innocent people being, I don't know, like fucking put in situations like this and then cover-ups that happen because people don't want to take responsibility for their for their actions yeah oh lack of action god fucking jagoffs so the the biggest most recent update that i'm aware of at least i think you probably have more um is from june of 2021 so south yorkshire and west midlands police agreed to a settlement with more than 600 people to compensate them for the false police campaign aimed at avoiding responsibility for the 1989 hillsborough disaster and blaming the victims instead and uh bereaved families have always said it was a cover-up which i think is pretty fucking clear uh from the very small amount that we've even told you today so compensation will obviously go to the bereaved families. Damages uh, will be paid to survivors for the injuries they have suffered and access to a fund for further psychiatric treatment or counseling. Um, there's a lot of like really depressing statistics that I didn't include um, that you can read if you want to of just like the psychological trauma that a lot of people have gone through after this happened, especially kind of like survivor's guilt. Um, but the exact amount of compensation for any of these people ha- has yet to, uh, at least at the time of this, had yet to be agreed. I'm sure there's some sort of number that's been put out there, uh, but families even after uh going through this sort of thing saying that like it's incredibly dehumanizing to have to fight for some sort of compensate compensation over like a dead relative because it's like well how much is my dead relative worth yeah what's the, you yeah, know? What's the price of a dead person yeah yeah i mean coming to like more like modern day um most of the 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 large stadiums in europe like all the epl teams the uh, english premier league teams all stadiums are called like all sitters as in there's like no official standing room only um due to the numbers of of fatalities i think most closely linked to this event this has been happening for centuries injuries crushes at these sporting events um but a lot of stadiums are beginning to look to do this 
they call it like safe standing because much like ourselves at soccer games, we do not really sit. We basically stand the entire game. Of course, at Soldier Field, it's all seated and we just stand and everyone just kind of stands in that area. Um, they've been designing these new like rows, which are all barred and sectioned so that it would prevent falling. And that's what they have at the Minnesota United Stadium, the, right? Yeah, the Allianz, like, yeah, the yeah, Allianz yeah. Stadium. It's gorgeous. It's yeah. it's much smaller than Soldier Field, but my goodness, if, it's like if an we could have a stadium, stadium like that yeah. for the fire, oh, that'd be great. Um, let's let's win a game or two first. <laughs> we'll just tie a bunch. But yeah, um, the seating is to also help. Or sorry, the the standing room is to help people who choose to sit. Um, because it's it's space in a way that someone standing in front of you will not get in the way of your view if you were like sitting. Like some 6'4 some motherfucker standing in front of me, which always fucking happens. My God. Um, yeah, but I mean, teams, teams um, you know, my personal favorite team, Man United, have also been exploring this like safe standing procedure. And although I don't know its current status... Uh, they did experiment um, at some point last year during the season. Um, but yeah, many teams are doing it now. Um, but I mean, you might see like 3,000 spaces or, you know, a couple hundred. And a lot of stadiums don't sell booze. Is that correct? That one I'm not sure about. That I'm going I'm I'm to sure look about. this up real quick. Okay, so behind the scenes moment just looked this up uh so alcohol is sold in most stadiums um but you're not allowed to consume it in view of the pitch so you can you can buy it on the concourse uh before and during the game but it can't be brought into the stands uh actually most recently as january of this year uh, there's an article on The Athletic that uh, talks about them, like, trialing drinking in seats during matches. Which <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> We're only laughing because um, Saturday was a fucking shit show at the Chicago Fire game. That oh, was, we it was a brilliant time. Saw a guy get served f- four beers um, at the 80th <laughs> minute. Uh, for non-soccer followers, usually they stop serving alcohol at like minute 70. 75, I ish. think, is like the very yeah, last. Stop. This dude got four. And all also, I think there is limits to buying two uh, one, at a time. One per hand. Yeah, per one. Person. Yeah, 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 exactly. Of and, age. This, and this motherfucker, <laughs> I mean, he joked. I, he was so incoherent, he couldn't stand reasonably on his own and then for some reason was still sold all those beers on his own yeah this fine gentleman was pocketing um shooters of many uh liquors and yeah still got all of his beers but hey at least that one salesman made all that money huge sale so yeah i mean that's that's kind of it uh, as for like my updates at least for the more recent stuff there there's like even more recent shit than that of just kind of like rumblings of things but we're 47 minutes into this and I think that's a good place to wrap it up that's uh 45 plus two minutes of stoppage time oh god and that's the whistle yeah yeah well 
this episode was really fucking depressing. It was depressing to write. It was depressing to read about. And it was depressing to uh, go through and talk with you all today. So if there's anything you take away from this episode, uh, just know that we're damaging our mental health <laughs> in order for your <laughs> entertainment. Um, and it's already in such great shape as it is. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, my therapist would say I'm doing great. Um, and yeah, that's just, you know, if you want more details, go look it up on your own. It's really fucked up, though. And I'll warn you, you'll never get that out of your head. So yeah, the pictures are pretty gruesome. They're 10 times worse than the actual information. Yeah. Yeah. So so don't do that. Um, the like housekeeping items that I kind of booted to the end of this episode is if you, uh, you know, want to follow us on social media, we're on all your favorite, uh, social media channels, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Um, you could DM us, you can chat with us. If you don't want to do that, uh, you could send us an email at boostingconfusedpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you don't want to do that either, you're shit out of luck. So that's all we got. <laughs> also, what you drink today? Oh, I'm drinking water. You drink water. I'm drinking water. I'm on an antibiotic for like fucking what feels like month two. Uh, it's just been two weeks. I'm being dramatic. But yeah, I, that first beer after my so antibiotic sweet. is over is going to be, gonna so, be sweet. so sweet. Um, All right. Well, this was not a pleasure. And I'm going to need some, some time to recoup from this. So great. Have a great, great day. Have everyone. a, have a, yeah, have a have day. Have a day. Goodbye. Have a day.